Welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. All the news relevant to you and your business, squeezed into 20 minutes or less. And now, welcome your Monday morning information security quarterbacks, James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Rafael Lopes. Okay, and welcome to episode 65 of Down the Rabbit Hole Security Podcast. I am your host, James Jardine, and unfortunately, I'm riding a little bit solo this week uh, because Raf has just recently become a father. Congratulations, Raf. I'm sure a lot of people, if you follow on Twitter or Facebook, you're seeing all about it. Uh, so he is taking the morning to, you know, spend time with his family and get kind of settled in. Uh, anybody with kids knows how that goes. Uh, and especially when you have twins, uh, I'm sure it's doubly as much. Uh, so today we're going to start off a bunch of different stories we've got set up. First thing we're going to talk about is kind of a follow-up. Last time we did the newscast, we talked about uh, Dick Cheney coming out on 60 Minutes interview, talking about how he you know, had the, the Wi-Fi disabled in his pacemaker Back in 2007 to thwart the idea of terrorists, you know, using that as an attack vector to take him out, to kill him. Uh, so there's an updated post that we saw out on .med.com, uh, the .med Daily News, where they give a lot more information on some of the history of where we're seeing this information come out about attacking these type of medical devices. This isn't new. Um, as the article mentions, in 2008, there was uh, computer scientist Kevin Fu out at the University of Michigan demonstrating in a research lab that he could uh, hack into heart defibrillator and pacemakers to induce potentially fatal electrical jolts. Um, we've had some researchers from McAfee claim that they've weighed, uh, have ways to hack into insulin pumps. Um, to make it release 45 days worth of insulin in one go. So this isn't anything new, and we've seen it over the years. It's interesting that he uh, did this kind of before a lot of these stats are coming out. But this is something common that we have to think about within the medical world. Do we have any agency that's going out and enforcing regulations on these medical devices are coming out, forcing some form of security testing, security architecture even to begin with. Um, so I think that's where we're really seeing the big push is that, yeah, I mean, these devices are vulnerable just like anything else that we have, like vehicles, like websites, like regular desktop applications. I mean, everything we're seeing with electronics in it, you know, we want to make things easier. I mean, obviously, it's nicer if we can get stuff through Wi-Fi from this pacemaker that's embedded in your skin uh, versus some other way. But we have to look at those risks and how far those risks go. Um, so kind of an interesting follow-up there regarding that. Uh, but it is, again, I mean, it's not new information. We've had researchers out there doing lots of research in the medical field and we have a push for a lot of people doing more research in the medical field for these types of devices because they're they're just not that mainstream as far as people thinking security 
people are just thinking, hey, I just want this thing to work. And we don't really think about the ability to attack these type of devices. Um, another story that we have, which is kind of <clears throat> kind of interesting. I mean, what do you think when you think the term hacker? Because there's so many different definitions. You got people that think hacker as the bad guy on breaking into your systems. Uh, hackers as maybe the good guys that are testing systems for people uh, to be able to show them their security issues. But then you also have on the development side, a lot of developers and creators um, use the term hacker because you're hacking things together. You're building things. So an interesting article, this is out on The Guardian. And again, we'll have these all on the, uh, the show notes so that way you can see where these articles came from. Um, call yourself a hacker. Your computer could be seized without warning. Um, and this was an incident. There was an open source developer. He labeled himself as a hacker. Um, and through some controversy with some other legal issues, uh, the government or the judicial system, the courts, decided uh, that because he labeled himself a hacker, he was at a bigger risk of deleting data off his systems and allowed them to seize the systems to make images uh, for use in the courts. Um, so um, describing yourself as a hacker, I mean, this could be definitely a slippery slope because, as I mentioned, there's so many different ways that we term ourselves hackers, right? It just depends on how you're using that terminology. And to be able to say, oh, well, he says he's a hacker, then he's obviously bad, right? It's always in an evil way. These people are up to no good, and that may not be the case. In this situation, um, we have a gentleman that worked for um, an alliance company, you know, this energy, Battelle Energy Alliance, and uh, also has uh, an open source project that he's creating, um, and apparently the idea is, is that the open source project stole code from the actual company, from a product they were making that's very similar. Um, and because of this, you know, they're trying to bring up legal action. And with that legal action, here they are going through and saying, well, because he's a hacker, there's a good chance that before you get a chance to get data from his system, he'll go ahead and delete it off of there. And because he's a hacker, he knows how to do that. And he will do that, right? Because hacker means bad, uh, but doesn't necessarily always be the case. Uh, but now with the court system saying this, right, this sets a pretty bad and serious precedence for the idea that now court systems can just come out and say, oh, well, he's a self-described hacker. So let's go ahead and just image his machine or take his machine based on that with maybe not any good solid other evidence to do that. So I think this is a bad precedence for how we're going to do this. And we have to watch this rather closely to see, because again, it's all about how we define the term hacker. Um, and really, I think it's a small amount that actually is considered bad. I mean, there's a lot of people that just hack to build things. Um, and that is hacking, you know, as we would say. Um, so kind of an interesting story that we'll have to really keep an eye on. Another story I found uh, quite interesting. I just saw this. Uh, this morning, I woke up in the middle of the morning, I guess, and started to check through my Twitter, and I saw this. Um, this is out on Krebs on Security, and it's Hackers Take Limo Service Firm for a Ride, which is kind of an interesting title. Um, but what happened was, I mean, there's this limo service, and again, I mean, this is a type of service that 
you know, you're not thinking, hey, this is a, a major brand. Uh, the file archive that was found read corporate car online, uh, which there's a company in Missouri that matches that, um, that they found all these passwords out on the same uh, servers where information was found from the Adobe breach we talked about recently. Uh, so there could be an assumption made that maybe the same people that did the Adobe breach did this breach as well. Uh, but what I find interesting about this story is that it's it's a not really a hugely known name company. I mean, this isn't Adobe. This isn't Microsoft. This is a rather small company uh, that, you know, got breached. And oftentimes we hear people say, oh, well, nobody, why would anybody want to breach my company? You know, what do I have? But interestingly enough, this company caters uh, to uh, celebrities, you know, high-ranking people. Uh, and subsequently, that leads to people with credit cards that either have no limits or very high limits, uh, very robust systems that are available. I mean, these are high-value targets. Uh, but oftentimes, most of us, we don't really think about this. You know, oh, it's a limo company. Who cares, right? I, I went to a rental car agency and yeah, they got my information or they get a bunch of information, but it's, your, you know, you're, you're common folk. Uh, but here you're actually seeing uh, some of the people that were there uh, that use this, LeBron James, Tom Hanks, Aaron Rodgers, um, in the lawmakers groups, there's a bunch of senators listed, top executives, Donald Trump, uh, Bruce Chesley. Um, so we have a whole bunch of big names that are out there on this site, and then they went ahead and get compromised uh, and lose a bunch of that high-value data. Um, so, I mean, lesson here, again, is, I mean, it doesn't matter really what you're doing you're always a target. Everybody is a target. Um, although we often see that people think that they're not because they're a smaller company um, or maybe not a well-known company. I don't know how large this company is, but uh, maybe not as well-known as some of these other companies out there. You can still be a target. And with the right amount of research, the attackers know, hey, this is a high-value target because look who they cater to. You know, look at the type of people that they're driving around and they have financial information on that's high value information. Um, I'm sure some of their credit lines are much better than, you know, accessing my credit line, right? I mean, we do two completely different things. Uh, so kind of an interesting um, attack there and kind of an interesting thing to see that it's tied to the same servers that the Adobe breach was on. Uh, so it'll be fun to kind of see where that goes in the future of what else we see coming up on those servers. Uh, and if we ever identify, is it the same people doing that or is it a big group? Who's actually performing these attacks? Leading into another issue that we're seeing, um, some new malware variants suggest crime, cyber criminals targeting SAP users. Um, so the idea here is, is we've got this new variant of a Trojan program that's targeting bank accounts, right? We've seen this over and over again. Uh, but what's new about this is it's got code to search if the infected computers have SAP client applications installed. Uh, it doesn't actually attack the client application. All it's doing is basically reconnaissance. So we're spreading malware that's, that does have a purpose. 
you know, they're targeting banking accounts and banking applications. But kind of a secondary purpose is this code that's out there looking and saying, hey, are there any SAP clients installed on this system? And taking that recon back, uh, which may indicate, as the article um, kind of pushes for, is that, you know, it may be indicating that there could be an attack on SAP systems coming up in the future, right? Because attackers are going out doing some sort of recon. Um, And I think it's kind of interesting that here we're seeing this malware being pushed out. And, you know, the main theme of it is, is one thing, attack the bank, but then kind of subliminally, it's looking for this ability to, hey, here's some other stuff I want you to check while you're installed on this machine. Um, and it kind of makes me wonder, you know, how often does malware get pushed out that doesn't do anything except for recon like this, where, hey, I don't have to get caught as easily. I want to stay under the radar. Let me just go out and put some benign malware out there that really doesn't even get noticed, doesn't take up CPU, doesn't take up really any resources, but it's going to go in and just kind of scan systems and determine, okay, here's what I have available on these systems that I have a door into. But I'm not really doing anything that's going to raise any alarms. And then this has got to help the the bot creators and the ones that control these systems because now they're starting to get statistics on, okay, I've got a a whole botnet here and I've got control of machine, you know, 30% of the machines have SAP clients installed, 30% have, you know, Microsoft Office installed and being able to really start keeping track of the inventory of your bots or of the systems you have access to uh, really kind of helps the resale value of your botnet uh, because now you can start catering towards those items. Uh, So interesting to see that recon that's going out there uh, as we start to evolve in these malware and Trojans that are being deployed, uh, how they're going and looking for this stuff. Um, And speaking of getting malware involved uh, and installed and, and having it take over your machines, out on Security Week, they have an interesting... Uh, article talking about a study that uh, was done by researchers with Kaspersky Lab talking about Java attacks jump as user patching lags. So the idea here is is that they've done this study and noticed that people really aren't keeping up with patches. And we talk all the time about the requirement that you have to keep your items patched, especially when you're talking about Java when you're talking about Adobe, right? These components <clears throat> that are deployed across platform, deployed everywhere. And uh, because of the deployment, uh, you're right, we see a lot of vulnerabilities in these. We have to keep them patched because the attackers know that they're deployed everywhere. Uh, and their study went out and showed that even uh, releases that were done you know, even the most recent version of Java 1.6 is in the top 10 most commonly used versions. Um, and it's, you know, one and a half months after the release of the latest version of Java. And most users are still working with vulnerable versions. Um, so people aren't keeping up with this. And uh, that causes a real problem uh, because it really opens up your system. And this is really a foothold 
into your enterprise environment if you don't have these type of applications passed because they are so common and so popular amongst the attackers. Um, so seeing that the Java attacks are jumping um, and, you know, attackers notice things that people aren't patching like they should be patching. So I'm going to take the easiest route. These aren't patching. Let me go ahead and start attacking Java and just see how many I can get. Um, and it's starting to work, I think, is really the key there. Is that we're really starting to see this happen. Uh, final story that I really wanted to touch on here, which is a touch of good news. Uh, you know, it's always nice to have a little bit of good news here, right? Uh, just recently, Yahoo unleashes its new bug bounty program. So it's now joined the ranks of uh, a bunch of the other major players. Uh, so this is a great thing, right? I mean, we love to see companies starting to release these bug bounty programs, getting the community involved. Whether you're a fan of bug bounty or not, um, they do serve a pretty good purpose of helping kind of crowdsource the finding of vulnerabilities in those applications. Uh, so they did release this. You can go out to bugbounty.yahoo.com and actually get the full rules of the site. Uh, and uh, of the bounty program that they have created. Uh, basically, the domains and properties that are in scope for the program are the .yahoo.com, the .flickr.com, um, and then all the Yahoo and Flickr branded mobile apps and client-side applications for Yahoo and Flickr. So it doesn't necessarily cover everything under the Yahoo brand, but at least we're starting someplace. They've got uh, information on here about how you can submit your findings they've got um, the issues that are of uh, submittability that you can actually cover for this so they've got cross-site scripting sql injection open redirect remote code execution cross-site request forgery directory traversal uh, content spoofing click jacking information disclosure um, those are the ones that are listed out for their um, rewards um, and their minimal Reward is $250 US dollars. Uh, maximum is $15,000. So not as high as some that we've seen, um, like Microsoft's that they just recently gave out. But still, um, getting people involved, I think, is what's going to help. Uh, if you're finding stuff outside of that, like other types of vulnerabilities, there may be other ways that you can submit that to them, get recognized for that. But really, for the, the payouts, those are the vulnerabilities they're looking for. Um, they also provide a complete list of things that are not in scope and exclusions. I think it's important that when we talk about doing bug bounties, making sure that we're we're doing it right, that as we create these bug bounties, they're they're doing a good job of saying, okay, here's what's in scope, here's the type of vulnerabilities, here's not what's in scope. And from a tester, Making sure we stick to, okay, this is the stuff in scope, not straying outside the lines, you know, staying inside of the guidelines, doing that makes a good bug bounty program and really helps make everything safer for everybody else because we can submit in these vulnerabilities, get them patched quicker than if we just had a few security people internally. Uh, so I think it's a great thing. Um, Nice to see that another one's coming out and offering the bug bounties. Uh, I'm sure as we go on um, over the next year, it, you know, through 2014, we'll start seeing even more companies 
where it should become pretty much the de facto uh, where companies are starting to offer these bug bounties uh, to get people involved. So that wraps up this week. Again, congratulations out to Raf. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't join us, but fortunately for him, he's enjoying life as a new dad. Uh, and he should be back for the next newscast that we have. Hopefully everything's going well with him and the family. Hope everything's going well with all of our listeners. Uh, if you're looking for us, please check us out on the web. All the notes will be up here on our site. Uh, so all the articles that we've discussed, you'll be able to check out and read. Um, and just you know, keep up with the news, enjoy it, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. Give us feedback on our website at podcast.whiterabbit.net. That's W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T. Or on Twitter at White Rabbit, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T. Until next time, on behalf of co-hosts James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Rafael Los, thank you for listening. <laughs>